and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I'm extremely excited to have with us Aaron Neal from Clue. Welcome, Aaron. Hello. All right, Erin, uh, let's give a little context to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about Clue, uh, your role there, and how you got there. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Clue, we're a competitive enablement uh, software solution. So we work with uh, product marketers and other CI leaders in the industry, uh, helping build out their competitive program through our software. Uh, we're, we're located in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, and I'm out of Canada as well, but I'm in Toronto and I got to Clue through connecting with the CEO about almost three years ago when they were a tiny little seed funded company of about uh, 15 people, 20 people. Um, and yeah, before that, I was at an ed tech company for about uh, nearly five years um, out of Toronto called Top Hat. Uh, as you mentioned, and as I've, I've uh, spent some time with Clue before, Clue really focuses on competitive intelligence, right? And what I think is really interesting is you focus on sales enablement for Clue, and that means also helping internally with competitive intelligence. So you have expertise coming at the topic from both sides. Um, And so I'm really excited to talk to you today about sort of competitive objection handling uh, and how, how to help ensure our sales partners are armed with what they need to do that and do that well, and for them to have a good idea of what doing it well might look like. Yes, I'm excited about the topic. Awesome. All right. So to start with a little, like, let's talk about when we say competitive objection handling, what are we referring to? So when we think about competitive objection handling, it's, it's really just, it's objection handling in general, but when you're up against your competitor. And the way we think about it uh, at Clue is through hierarchy. So we think about it, it starts with emotion, right? So how are you going to react to that objection through emotion to build trust and then what is the objective of supporting that objection? And then what's the approaches and tactics that you take? Um, so yeah. Let's dive into each one, right? So why does emotion matter? When we talk about the first thing to think about is emotion, we are dealing with people in the sales process, even if we're selling in our minds to companies. So emotion is critical. Talk to me a little bit about the emotional aspect of objection handling. I think emotion comes into play in, in every in everyday life and everything you do. And selling is in pretty much everything you do in life, whether it be you are uh, you know buying your groceries or supporting uh, you know a software sale. And what we're trying to do here is make a connection and build trust because a lot of people are emotional buyers. And so the objectives obviously is to when you are supporting those objections that are coming up to erase the doubt in their mind because there clearly is a concern there. That's why they're bringing it up um, and shape the lens, maybe something that they haven't thought of before. So perhaps give them a, another position to think about to open their mind and broaden their thoughts um, and then keep them keep them hooked, right? So in objection handling, I think is amazing because that means that they're engaged and they're asking thoughtful questions. So if you give them thoughtful answers and keep them engaged, that's only gonna build more trust and uh, build a, a better, hopefully selling process um, in your, in your sales uh, approach. And then lastly, I think, oh, sorry, should I, should I stop? No, I was just going to, I was just going to add on, on there, Erin, is I think it's interesting that you talked a little bit about, um, emotions and building trust and, and two things I think are important. One, you mentioned that like, if they're building, bringing up objections, they're engaged, 
right? If you're not interested at all, you're not like trying to elongate the conversation by bringing up objections, right? It's, it's a positive <laughs> sign. Um, and the other aspect of that, and I think that you could draw on as a salesperson is like, there's not just emotions of the person that you really have your own emotions. Like when people bring objections, I think it's okay to recognize that, oh, you're going to, you also have emotions in this conversation. Um, but being able to reposition that from a challenge or an obstacle to, oh, that means they're engaged helps you also keep your own internal emotions in check. Yeah, I think you said that really well. I think that, yeah, I think it's interesting you say that too, because um, one of my colleagues was doing a sales process for uh, for our HR software. And she said, oh my gosh, it's so difficult dealing with sellers. They were so rude to me or gave me tone when I asked these questions. And she said of the five that she evaluated, three of them she dropped instantly because she just didn't have a good connection and didn't feel like they were listening or giving her empathy or you know, positive emotion to build that relationship. So I think, I think you hit it really well there. Nice. Keep them hooked. And then the last one I was going to mention is, it, is competitive objection handling is being on the offense, right? So we want to make sure that when objections come up, that ultimately they're just opportunities to build further trust and educate your prospect more on why you should or are the better option to choose. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's what I think about in terms of the why of emotion and why it's so important. And I also think one of the things I really like about the hierarchy that you guys talk about at Clue, the objection handling is, is um, you recognize that not all objections are the same right? And you kind of categorize them in three different types of competitive objections that you might get, right? Blatantly mm -hmm. not true, not entirely true. And it's just plain true. Like that's true. The competitor is better at X, Y, or Z. Um, and I think that's, again, such an important part to do. And if you can talk a little bit about how each of those classifications changes, how you might address those objections. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. My, my colleague came up with, it's called the, the, ARR of objection handling um, and the approaches you take. So we, when it comes to, you know, the truth or not, is it true? Is it not true? Is it somewhat true? We broke, in, we broke it down into three buckets. The first is address, the second is reframe, and the third is redirect. And so when it's blatantly not true or not true at all, address. You just need to make sure that you get that out right away. Yes, no, this is why, so that there's no um, buffer room for interpretation. And I think that that's really important when you think about doing a sales demo or a sales conversation. It's overwhelming talking to a sales rep because they give you so much information. So if you leave any room for interpretation, that could be bad when they go back to their leader or to their boss uh, saying, hey, like, I'm not really sure they kind of gave me the answer. So um, that's the first, right? So in terms of approaches of objection handling, if it's blatantly true or uh, blatantly not true, just address it immediately. And make sure, of course, you still use positive emotion so that you're not offending them in the question they asked. Any questions on that? No, but I also think uh, the one nice nuance when we were talking about this beforehand is, uh, you know, it could be that your competitor completely lied about you. Often, though, it's yeah. that status has changed, right? It may have used to been true. It's not true anymore. And those are all things that I think uh, you can, again, not only address, but bring up. Yes, that was true in the past, yeah. but for the last three years, we've done X, Y, or Z, because I think that really shows a depth of how you address it and, and a bit of a nuance, right? If you mm -hmm. just say, no, that's not true. Well, <laughs> you know, well, the, the yes. stories and the facts yes. and the processes that may have changed to make it not true today, I think is a, is a great way of approaching that as well. 
I, I completely agree. And I think one, one other tactic that I've used is, is, you know, make a joke out of it or laugh about it in the sense that, oh, yes, that, that, that used to be true, but it changed, you know, over a year ago, because we addressed this in the product XYZ. And this is why we addressed it. And I think you said it well, is kind of giving them a little bit more depth of the objection, even if it is blatantly true or not true. Great. All right. So then there's um, the one that's like the, like the gray ground, right? It's, it's not yeah. entirely true, or maybe it's not <laughs> relevant in this case. So how would you address that one? Yeah. So that's the second one in our, you know, ARR framework, which is reframe. So we want to ensure that um, we're still uh, answering the objection. I think that's important in any of these approaches, but we're changing the lens through what the prospect sees the situation. So we want to ensure again, that if they say like a good example is trials come up all the time, right? In software, or in any kind of purchasing behavior of, oh, can we do a trial? Can we do this? Um, some, some companies don't let you do that. Some do, right? So if they don't, um, you don't want to just say, no, we don't, because then again, they'll, they'll go, they'll leave the meeting and then just say, oh, they can't. And then maybe they'll just stop wanting to talk to you. Whereas if you reframe the conversation and say, hey, why is a trial important to you? Or what are you hoping to achieve? Um, and, and broaden the conversation around this, the simple, you know, do you do a trial objection or question? then it gives you the opportunity to understand those, the prospects needs more and to help go kind of go back to the top, address uh, that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm kind of curious in terms of reframing. I think there's, sometimes I think people think reframing is avoiding and that's definitely mm. not what we're wanting to do, but we're, we're wanting to try to uh, broaden um, the conversation if it's not entirely true. Yeah. And I, th- I think you hit right on the, the head where that can be troublesome, right? If it feels like you're doing the big Olay uh, and, and trying to avoid it doesn't going to go great. But, but I think one of the things, um, that can be helpful in, um, is, is kind of, uh, digging from them, like, okay, so making sure you understand where that specific concern is, because often those entirely, not entirely true ones are like really broad. Right. And so if you can get down a little bit more like, okay, like, where is that concern or, or where do you think that's relevant here? It gives you something more, um, more easily to decide if it's true or not true, right? Like it helps you figure out how big a, a, a issue, quote unquote, this might be. And I think that that is sometimes an area to sort of dig down a little bit on because you're often sort of mm-hmm. fighting against, you know, uh, they're slow. Well, like that's a really broad, right? <laughs> are, we slow to, <laughs> are we slow to do paperwork or, you know, what, what kind of slow are we talking about? So I, I think digging in that one a little bit to figure out where they find the concern in that can be good. Yeah. And the only other thing I'll say on, on reframe is I often consider it too as an opportunity to discuss unconsidered needs. So mm-hmm. when you say, oh, they're slow, um, well, what, like, I mean, I don't know, a good example of that, but wh- why is that so important to you? And are right. these other things just as important to you? Um, have you thought about this? Um, and and kind of, yeah, just broadening the conversation around the thing that uh, isn't fully true and, um, and whatnot. But yeah, the, the last one, um, Rebecca, is redirect. And, and this is the one where you can get into some muddy water depending on, on truly how you approach it. And so this is when it's just plain true. So let's say your competitor just, just lands some huge FUD and it's just, it's true, right? Like, oh, I heard your service was down last month or, oh, I heard you can't do X or Y. How do you, what do you do in that situation? And we, we, we do 
want to think of that as redirect. So I would still, again, you always do the A of the ARR, you always address, but you want to make sure that you're redirecting to perhaps more important concepts and topics. So like a, a good one that comes up all the time is price, right? Like, oh, I heard you're this much money. That's way too much for us. Well, definitely address that. If, it, if it's like a complete show shopper, then maybe you, would, you shouldn't be having conversations, but maybe redirect the conversation on the value and maybe the cost won't seem as uh, you know, large once they understand the value more and have thought more about their unconsidered needs coming to the conversation. Um, what do you think about redirect? I, I, I do agree with you. That's a difficult one. I think acknowledge and redirect is a way to make it seem less like you didn't hear them, right? So at least they feel like I understand your concern about pricing, but like, right. But then, but, but, you know, we offer X, Y, or Z or whatever other piece, because I think if you don't, <laughs> if you don't um, acknowledge it, it can feel like they're not heard. Um, yes. And so that's, that's uh, I think a difficult place to be, but a lot of it will depend um, on your relationship with them and also your personality. Um, but I like to be like, yes. oh, I heard you there, but how about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I think I see it in a similar, like I see address and acknowledge is very kind of interchangeable terms. And I agree with that. And I think when we think about the hierarchy of, of objection uh, handling, right. And we talked, emotion is always at the top of everything mm -hmm. we do here. Right. So all of these objections, uh, all the objectives of, you know, erasing those doubts and shaping the lens and the approaches of the ARR, we always want to bring it back to building the trust. So I, I completely agree with you. You want to make sure you're acknowledging, addressing, or however you want to define it. Because if you, if you don't do that and you are, yeah, I like what you said about personality. Like if you're too blunt of a person and the other person <laughs> yeah. you're speaking to is not, then you kind of have to think about the emotion there and reframe and redirect how you answer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And you can also, I mean, I think it's the, the person on the other end is really direct. Then you want to be direct in your response, right? A, a really wishy redirect or a reframe is not going to be well received by someone who's really direct as well. So it's both sides. That's just keeps it fun, right? You touched a little bit on, on some uh, tactics and response ideas. And I think it's really great to have sort of like a, uh, a quiver full of arrows or, or, or ways and phrases and phrases that you can like literally have a list of and that you can practice yep. um, as, as sort of a bridge, right. Between, between mm -hmm. uh, what their objection is and how you want to answer it. And I know you have a bunch of these, so I would love to hear some of sort of like the response ideas uh, and some of your favorite ways of, of leading in those objection handling conversations. Yeah. And I think it goes back to kind of sales enablement and training of making sure that it's accessible to those sellers with these ideas and responses. So making sure that you have different, you know, deliverables or battle cards or um, accessible content that these sellers can go to when they know they're going into a, a difficult, competitive objection handling conversation. And so there's, there's so many different, <coughs> excuse me, there's so many different responses you can have to claims. And Rebecca, of course, it truly depends on what the topic is. But um, these are just some like simple starting points. Like one could be, I'm not sure what what else they told you, but here's the reality. And I think mm -hmm. that this one can be, can, the tone of it can really depend on the person. So I'd be careful with it. But you want to make sure that like you're dismissing what is correct or not correct, but, but then addressing what is. Um, that's the one that's kind of in the middle when you're reframing. 
Um, another one could be, oh, it looks like they have some outdated intel. And that that's the, I kind of joked about it earlier, like making jokes about things and making a little bit lighter and less um, may, maybe intense of a conversation and be like, oh, yeah, no, I think that's out of date and, and not necessarily being negative towards your competitor. If, if it's specifically around competitive objection handling, you, you have to toy a fine line of being rude or dismissive or negative towards your competitor because that just doesn't, uh, I don't think it really looks good generally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I really like that one. looks like you have some outdated intel. Like A, it gives them, like there's no embarrassment that they're not right, right? Uh, it's not like, oh, how did you, you know, why'd you think that? Uh, it depersonifies it, both their source of where they got it and sort of the right piece. And, you know, and it's sort of lighthearted. I really like that one um, as a nice ability to transition. And also, again, it, it, it does somewhat admit that it was true at one point. And if it was, I think that's a good thing to say. Uh, the, the truth yeah. there can only help. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And so for so that one for me is, is one of my favorites. Yeah. And one of my other favorites is, and maybe it's not in this exact, you know, lingo or terminology of that's not what our customers say. I would probably say it in a, a different form or fashion, but I think this is always a great opportunity to loop in customer stories, right? I think something that sellers across the board, at least at our business, we're constantly working on is bringing in customer stories so that it's relatable and um, palatable to actual experiences rather than just theory. And so um, I think it's great if you do have customer examples that can um, dispute an objection that will only build your trust more. And then you can always, depending on your use case, even offer that customer if they're willing to be a reference. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on, on using customer stories in objection handling? I like it with you. I would rephrase it, you know, something like, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What we hear from customers is, but yeah. I can hook you up with one of those customers if you'd like to hear from them directly so that it, that it doesn't come off combative but yeah. it comes off really grounded in market. And the market in this case, your customer is a is sort of a third party opinion. And sometimes when it's my opinion versus my competitor's opinion, like, well, you know, <laughs> one of us is always right and they're always wrong. But that third party spot, so whether it's a customer or analyst, or if you've got a report or a survey or something like that, that you can use um, as a way to position against this, I think it's really great. And to your point, Erin, uh, the delivery there can really make it seem uh, much more collaborative. Exactly. Yeah. And it's hard, like I have, uh, for the listeners, I have a couple examples written out and it's hard to just say them in, in context of this, but it really depends on the specific conversation and the tone and the way you deliver. I think the, one of my other favorite ones is where you say, you know, we see things a bit differently. Here's why. And I think that one's a good, a mm. good, like tangible mm -hmm. example of that one is like, all companies treat, you know, support and success differently, right? How do, how are we treated after we sign the dotted line? And perhaps your competitor has a very different approach than yours. So I think that they can be seen as positive or negatives, depending on what the client cares about. But to just start the conversation with, oh, yes, I think I, they do do that way that that's uh, awesome. And they, I think that the value of that is X, Y, Z. We think of things a little bit differently here. We do it because of this X, Y, Z. And I'm um, still acknowledging and being positive towards whatever it may be the topic. But yeah, I, I like that one as well as, as a example claim or also, example response, sorry. And, and a really good way of, of you're going to hit pretty directly that you don't agree, right? That's the setup on that one. But it is, to your point, it is a um, politer way of doing it, 
oh, the way we see <laughs> things is different. Here's why, right? It's kind of being like, no, we don't agree with that, but it, but it's done in a way that's both, um, it's not combative and it, and it promises education, right? Like it doesn't just say, we don't see it that way. We think it's blue. It's, we don't <laughs> see it that way. And here's why, because you're going to educate them on the way you approach that. And so again, I think that's a really good one and a really good one when you need to uh, hit something pretty direct. Yeah, and I think that um, this is, again, another great opportunity to understand the buyer, um, meaning that um, once you kind of say that whole talk track that we just kind of alluded to, of we see things differently, here's why, blah, 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 and then it goes, then you can say, you know, how do you see things and really understand what their thoughts are and if it's resonating with them? Because if it's not resonating with them, one of my favorite things to do in objection handling is labeling oh, it feels like I didn't hit the mark there. It feels like I didn't fully answer your question. Did I, do you feel whole, like not whole, but do you feel uh, like I supported you there? Or, um, you know, I, I think labeling and, and calling out if, if, you, if, if you get that emotional vibe that they're not connecting with what you said, it's very important, right? Because most sellers just, uh, or at least I've seen in most sellers, they just kind of take whatever the prospect says and moves on, you know, oh yeah, thank you. Okay, cool, yep, that answered my question sometimes it didn't answer the question and mm. sometimes that objection is still lingering and that's going to linger after the call. And, and that might be an impact as to why they not want to continue conversations with you or move forward. So um, with all of this, I think it's always important after you respond to then label or um, address that feeling. If there's any awkward or negative feeling in the room, um, it, it's worked wonders on me and it, it's helped build trust, even if it's an awkward thing to do. Um, some people feel uncomfortable calling out, Hey, Rebecca feels like I didn't answer your question. I, I kind of laugh about it and usually like, Oh no, it's fine. But have you ever done that before Rebecca, like labeling or, or kind of confirming that they feel whole when you are objection handling, or I don't know if you being a marketing leader, if you have to deal with those kind of things a lot. I mean, I Maybe think that, as a leader, as a leader. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, Yes. And I, I think it's, here's where I say, I don't do it as well as I should. I tend to be like, oh, does that make sense? Right. Which is not the same. Yes. As, does that address your concern? Uh, which I think yes. in this case, when you, particularly with objections, right, it is a, a very acute thing. You want to make sure that you get all the way through. I think that call back to say, you know, like, but let's make sure that that answers your questions or your concerns. Right. Because um, like you said, different definitions, different ways. I think it's a really good, strong loop. Uh, and I will work to do it. Better. Yeah. No, I, I'm so bad at it too. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Like those are almost like word ticks, like ums and ahs. It's like, you yeah. want to ask a more open-ended question if possible. And I, I like, even when I was just giving an example, I, it was still a closed-ended question. It's, it's, it's hard to, to perfect that, but it's something I'm constantly working on too. Yes. So we've talked about the objection handling hierarchy. We've talked about emotions, objectives, approaches, even some ideas of different tactics. Um, I think one of the things that's that's also important for you and I is like, sure, we in every role in an organization, you deal with objections, but obviously it's our sales partners who deal with them the most acutely. Uh, so I think the other question is, how do we how do we arm them? to really be ready for those conversations um, and not to have the information and the approach they need? It's a really good question. So when we think about arming sales and, and the people that are supporting them, whether it be marketing or if it's product specific, I think you definitely want to speak to them first 
in the sense that you want to understand what their needs are and what are the objections that are coming up the most, especially since we're the, the main topic today is around competitive objections. So talking to the sellers themselves first will always be a good starting point for doing baseline surveys. And then beyond that, building a framework to have those uh, you know, response layouts easily accessible and consumable, right? And whether that be, like I mentioned earlier, a battle card or deliverable or an easy accessible deck or dock somewhere, um, depends on, of course, the different technologies you're using at your business, but just making sure that it's, I always think of a couple things, that it's snackable, so it's easy to di digest and read and quick to understand, and it's easily accessible. So you wanna make sure, you know, consumable and accessible are the two biggest things. And um, however you deliver that, there's so many different forums and ways you can. Um, my personal favorite as a seller is definitely um, battle cards because I'm, uh, I like tight digestible content. I'm not gonna read a five page document on a objection handling or a 10 page document. But if you give me a couple different um, points to these specific objections that are coming up in, against this specific competitor, that's gonna help me so much in those conversations when it comes up. And even using tools like gong and and getting those snippets from those recordings of when those objections are said what the seller says and how they react are really great ways for other um, sales professionals to see how they react in real time and and believe in the actual way that your company is saying you should address that objection um that was a bit long-winded uh, rebecca apologies apologies for that but hopefully oh no helpful. you gave you gave like four really good pieces of advice in there so let's let's just like hit them all right so one was uh, remember your audience. You called it snackable, which <laughs> I loved, right? Like they're salespeople, they're moving fast. They need to get to the information fast and you need to provide that to them in a way where they can do that. So do that. 100%. Two, you mentioned tools. You said, use the tools you have. Another huge piece, right? Like it's great. You can be like, oh, I have a really great solution for this, let's say in SharePoint. Uh, but if, mm -hmm. if your sales team is in Salesforce, that's a bad place for it to be, right? It needs to <laughs> yep. tools and technologies that are in fact there. Um, so that was the second one. Uh, the third one was um, you talked about Gong, but as an ability to show salespeople how other salespeople are handling it. And I think, again, Aaron, super powerful point you made. I can prepare them. I can do, like we can do, you know, um, we can do like examples and we can do exercises, but a sales to sales person, a person on the sales team uh, just has a different authority and a different credibility. And when you can get them to start to share with each other, or when you have someone on the sales team that you work with directly, who is, is kind of trusted within the sales group, I think that can be an even more powerful way sometimes of bringing that down just because they have the trust of the sales team and they have the understanding and the empathy that I think uh, can really make that powerful. Was that the third one or the fourth one? I, I got, I lost the, track there, I apologize. I know, see, this is, I always say I should never so remember much. things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because then I think, I think it was third. And I think the fourth uh, was just uh, talking about evidence, right? Talking about, yeah. um, you know, we always want to prove our uh, what we're saying, the why of it, how it's different, those things. And that is something I think we are, particularly in our roles, equipped to do is some of that evidence mm -hmm. to give them that talking point um, and bullet points is really strong. Yes, no, I agree. I think, yeah, there's a lot of different things you can take from there. And obviously for the listeners, you know, take whatever's most relevant to your business, but 
Um, yeah, ex accessible and consumable are, are two huge things. If you're thinking about uh, as a marketer or as a product leader supporting a sales group, those are going to be really important because if they don't know where to find it or if it's not easy to get to or read, they're, they're not going to do anything. And it's all your work's going to be for naught, which is the, the worst thing, right? When you work yes. hard on these different things to support people. Oh yeah, no, that's, that is the worst. So we talked about a ton of different stuff today, Erin. If you could get our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would that be? Good question. Um, only two things we've talked about so much. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, I think the first one is like, it, it all bubbles up when we talk about this. If you think about a little triangle in the hierarchy, it all bubbles up to emotion. So objection handling is always going to be very important to control the emotion and control, not control, but to ensure that you're supporting the person you're responding to and using that emotional response to build trust. So that's my first one, I would say, just make sure you're always focusing on the emotion to build trust, no matter what the objection is. And then I would say that the second one is just remember the ARR. So when an objection does come up, think about the three different tactics you can use. Like, are you going to address it? Are you going to reframe? Are you going to redirect? And how are you going to approach each three to still ensure that the emotion and the positive emotions are there to build that trust? Um, that, those are those are the two, I would say, um, broadly. And I, I am also surprised, Erin, that you guys have not coined ARR as the pirate approach. Because every time you say it, I think, Arr, but that's because it was talked like a pirate <laughs> the other day. So <laughs> you never oh, know. Oh, well, I just think of like, I just think of when we think of objection handling, we think of salespeople and salespeople are always going for ARR with their quotas and their goals. So uh, that's that what I think of, yep. but I nope. do, Yours works I do well. like the R. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Thank you, Erin. It was an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.